All right, we're finishing up, uh, Lord willing, today the, the book of Second Peter, the letter of Second Peter. Uh, I want to say thank you for journeying with us through this, uh, this great uh, letters of Peter. Next Sunday's message, as we'll be offside, and of course Christmas Eve, will be a special message on hope. Uh, the Sunday following on the 31st, we'll have another special New Year's uh, message, and looking forward to sharing that with you. And then... As we uh, start the new year, we're starting a brand new book. We're going to be doing, uh, as we have been doing, a verse-by-verse uh, expositional study through the book of 1 John. And so we'll go 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And our series through 1 John will be called Living in His Light and Love. And so I'm looking forward to that. But we have one more uh, teaching here in 2 Peter. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there to 2 Peter 3. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 18 as we finish out the chapter and this book, 2 Peter 3. This morning, we're also going to be praying for uh, Wesley and Sidney Tucker. They're uh, taking the exit ramp of the winter PCS on us. Uh, and actually, Wesley's getting out of the army, uh, going to be doing the skill bridge, um, suffering for the Lord in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, which I've been there. It's beautiful. Um, and so uh, I, I was teasing them. I mean, it's like uh, we got to visit this past summer. And my wife fell in love with that place, um, especially the Puckett's Barbecue. So uh, I will see you at Puckett's Barbecue, Lord willing. But we're going to be praying for them uh, as they, uh, this is their last Sunday with us. And uh, they're taking off actually tomorrow, right? You guys get on a plane tomorrow. So thank you for um, being here today. All right, 2 Peter 3, if you're there with me, I invite you to stand as we do in honor of God and his word. I'm going to back up to verse 14. We'll just retread 14. It helps to keep the context, but we'll, uh, we'll unpack 15 through 18. Peter writes, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. He continues his thought, and that's where we will be for this morning. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the same, or excuse me, being led away with the error of the wicked. But, and I love this verse, verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, would you guys pray with me? And we're going to pray for the Tuckers this morning. Father, we thank you again for our time of worship. We thank you, Lord, for the great variety in which we can express our adoration and love and, and just bringing you glory, Lord. And God, we thank you that 
these things, these opportunities that we have to come together as your bride, as a church, to worship you in spirit and truth. In many ways, Lord, it's a preview of coming attractions where all of us one day, for those who know you have professed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we get to be part of the choir in which we will worship and sing and express love for you and to you uh, for eternity. And Lord, we're looking forward to that day. What an amazing uh, blessing that we have to be able to do uh, a heavenly activity on this side of eternity. And Lord, uh, grateful for those who share their gifts. Lord, we pray as we study your word that you would speak to us, lead us and guide us by your spirit. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that it provides a light and a lamp to our feet and our path. It shows us what's right and what's wrong, where to go. Lord, we thank you for your grace that's revealed through the pages of scripture, a grace that abounds even when we blow it. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for your grace that's demonstrated through relationships. We thank you for the Tuckers, Lord, and their season with us and the blessing they have been to our church, to me and my family personally. We're going to miss them, but Lord, we pray you would bless them in every way. We thank you for opening this door for this opportunity uh, there in Tennessee. And God, we just commit them to you and looking forward to hearing and seeing of the good things you'll continue to do in and through their lives. And so, Father, we commit our time of study now to you. We pray and ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll just take a moment, greet a neighbor, introduce yourself to somebody new. Well, what a great study we've had through uh, First and Second Peter. Uh, again, thank you for uh, sticking with me and persevering through our, really our systematic uh, expositional uh, expedition. Uh, of these letters. As we, we noted when we began that uh, each of Peter's letters had a different focus. If you remember first Peter, generally there's lots of other themes, uh, you know, macro and micro themes, but generally the first letter of Peter is an encouragement to the Christian to stay the course uh, despite troubles and trials, uh, the turbulence of life that we all experience um, and just keep on keeping on, really. Um, he reminded us that as Christians, uh, we're, we're not promised a trouble-free life. But God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us everything that we need to thrive uh, in the word of God, in his Holy Spirit, but also with each other. That He's placed us in this thing called the body of Christ. And it's those things, God's gifts to us in his word, by his spirit and with each other that we can then help each other uh, grow and persevere, not just survive, but thrive even through difficult times. Second Peter uh, is a little different in that it's more of an exhortation by way of reminder. Uh, Peter opened his letter saying, I know that you know these things, uh, but I'm going to remind you anyways. And as long as I have breath, I'm going to continue to remind you. I'm going to continue to put these things before you. And then even after I'm gone, I'm going to keep these things on repeat. And so as we looked at second Peter, as we've been traveling through the main reminder that he brings forth is a warning. And it's a warning against being spiritually swindled by false teachers and false gospels and false teachings. And, and as far as the Bible is concerned, 
Uh, this is and uh, was Peter's last letter. It's his last words. Uh, you might remember that Peter seemed to have a sense in which uh, his time on earth was coming to an end. Uh, in, in the beginning of Second Peter, he writes in verses 14 through 15 of chapter 1, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, He's talking about this life, uh, uses the same analogy and symbolism that Paul would use that, uh, you know, that our, our body is basically this, this tent and we're going to pack it up and put it away. And one day we're going to receive a, a heavenly tent, a heavenly dwelling. We talked about that last Sunday. He says, but knowing I'm, I'm going to put off my tent shortly, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And of course that's fulfilled because we have first and second Peter, a reminder for us. Uh, this verse reminded us that time is short, that our days on earth are limited and life is a very precious gift that God has given to each of us. That verse also challenged us to think about our own impact in our lives, uh, you know, now, how do we live our life now? And what will be the legacy that we leave behind? And it's a good, it's a good question. You know, we, when we were there, we paused and we said, you know, what, what do we want to be known for? If we were to exit from this life to the next, um, if you knew that you only had one week to live, what, what would be the, the words of wisdom, the words of love, the words of affection, the words of instruction that you'd want to leave for your loved ones and for your friends? History and church tradition tells us that Peter was martyred. He was killed for his faith uh, under the Roman Caesar Nero. And tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down when he was killed and that when he died, he was buried in Rome uh, where the St. Peter's Basilica now exists. Now, as you go through scripture, the Bible doesn't record the particulars of his passing, but we do have Peter's last written words, his, his last instructions to the church. And it's in these closing verses from 15 to 18 and again, we covered 14 last week. I want to just give context as we read it. But it's in these verses that we find three directives that Peter prescribes for us. In verse 15, you notice the, the imperative verb with me. He says, consider. And he's going to tell us what to consider. And then verse 17, he's going to tell us to beware. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware. And it'll give us some direction. And then in verse 18, uh, we are told to grow and grow specifically in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's upon those three imperatives, uh, these action verbs that form our outline this morning. And I trust uh, with you that as the spirit leads and guides his instruction, we'll find appropriate application for each of our lives as we you know, come this morning. So. I draw your attention back to verse 15. As we read, he says, and consider it's a continuation of thought. Consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given to him has written to you. We'll pause there. 
we, we took our time last two weeks to carefully consider what Peter was writing in the verses that preceded this. And if you're with us again, by way of reminder, or if you weren't with us, if you're familiar with second Peter, you might know that there is the coming reality of God's judgment. It's a very sobering uh, portion that he lays out for us. And we were reminded that for you and me, uh, for the Christian, the, the orientation of our life is forward and it's upward. We're not looking backwards at the good old days, but we're looking forward to glory. And, and we're not looking around at the growing instability of governments and the world and uh, all that it uh, you know, as it unravels and we're not looking at the uncertainty of the currencies or the fragile fate of a future. Uh, we're not looking around and we're not looking down, but we're looking forward and we're looking upward, right? The, the sights uh, of the believer are set on our savior. Our focus is on Jesus, that he is our rock, our fortress, our defense and our deliverer. And Peter reminds us that whatever comes our way, we don't need to fret because our future is assured. It's secured. It's locked in. It's guaranteed. You and I have the hope of heaven and we have the promise of a future home. As he continues in that thought, then as he then puts it in perspective for us that there's going to be a truth for judgment in those who don't know the Lord. And yet for those who do know the Lord, we can look forward to these things. We can look upward toward these things to, to take heed and to know that our redemption draws nigh. But it is completely then understandable as we live in this broken world and we experience the brokenness, even in our own lives, and, and the depravity of sin and our temptations and, and, and all of the wickedness and all of the evil and all of these, the darkness, it's, it's completely understandable that then we would eagerly desire, even as he directs us to, and long for deliverance, that we would long for the day of the Lord. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly, especially as we see the suffering and, and we experience suffering. And these days get darker and darker. And the shock value of the news just, you know, increases or maybe decreases. I don't, however you want to look at that. The, the level of depravity, it's like, it doesn't surprise me anymore when you hear of certain things. And we ourselves grew through, go through tough times and hard knocks. And, and we can be like the psalmist. How long, O oh Lord? Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And what happens to you and happens to me? Well, we, we experience a type of spiritual battle fatigue. We get tired and our hearts long for relief. And we long for, for the rest that uh, Jesus has promised. We'll finally experience one day. And man, what an amazing day that's going to be. Better than Disneyland, better than Costco, better than Christmas. And here we're reminded that we must not view what seems like a delay in the coming of Christ 
as though God is unfaithful, as though God is absentee, as though God has broken his promise. Peter told us that, that, that the mistaken claim of the scoffer, the hater of God and his word, as they try to create doubt and get us to, to have skepticism to the word of God. I mean, that's just the, the play that the serpent did in the garden. But instead, Peter told us in verse nine, that God's delay is God's kindness. And it's here that Peter then reminds us of these things. He says, consider, he's already told us, and he's not afraid just to say, I know that you know these things. I'm going to just tell you again. I'm going to hit repeat so that we don't miss it. He says, consider then that the long suffering of our Lord, that the patience of God, his willingness to wait long and suffer long. He says, it is salvation. And so I just simply to rephrase this, that we can understand and hopefully um, adopt and internalize that the purpose of God's patience in this world and in your life and in your marriage and in your family, that the purpose of God's delay as though we see it as God's delay, God's timing is perfect, but the purpose of his patience is for the for people, people who don't know the Lord to get saved and people who know the Lord, or maybe who've drifted from the Lord to come back to the Lord. It's the principle of for people to get right with him. That's why God is patient. That's why God is willing to suffer long. And Peter told us the reason why. Well, God's not slack as some people consider slackness or slow. His Timetable is completely different than our timetable. The way that he evaluates time. And he told us the heart of God. God is willing that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And so here he reminds us of the same thing. The long suffering of the Lord, it is salvation. God's waiting is motivated by God's love. It's true of salvation and that's the context, but I'd add that it's also true of our sanctification. God is perfectly patient. He is wonderfully kind towards us, even when we blow it. Why? For the purpose of restoration, reconciliation. God's patient provides opportunity. God's patience provides opportunity for you and for me to get right. For people to come and, and cast themselves and for us to cast ourselves upon the mercy of his grace. I think about the, the parable, the story that Jesus tells and in, in recorded in Luke 15 for us. It's the parable of the prodigal son. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to read that later. You can Mark that and make it part of your devotional reading this week. It's in Luke 15. And it's a wonderful story, powerful story that Jesus tells of, of, of God's patience, of God's forgiveness, of God's love, of a restoration and a reconciliation of a relationship. I mean, just these themes of the heart of God for all of us. And it's in that account, as Jesus tells it about this, this son who says, I'm out of here, my paraphrase. 
and in a sense insults the dad. It says, just give me the money that you're going to give me when you pass away. I want it now. That'd be the equivalent of just saying, you're dead to me. And so give me my inheritance. And he, and he takes it and he goes and he squanders, he blows it. He finds himself then without money and he just ends up getting this job. He's feeding pigs. Doesn't have any food. Ends up eating the same food that the pigs are eating. And he comes then finally to this, his senses, if you will, and realizes, what am I doing here? Like even, even the servants in my dad's house have it better than this. And, and so he, he goes back. And, and what, I, what I love about the scene, and it's a nuance that sometimes I think we might miss. I know that I, I have missed it. Uh, in Luke 15, 20, it tells us that while the sun, while the sun was a long off, he's out in the distance, he's coming back. It says the father sees him and was filled for compassion. And the Bible says that the father ran to the son. You know, we, we, we sing that song and I run to the father again and again and again. But you know, the, the Luke 15 tells us it, it's the father who ran to the son. Threw his arms around him, kissed him, embraced him, welcomed him back. Imagine that dad waiting day after day. And the Bible doesn't tell us, so we have to take a little bit of conjecture and liberty, perhaps praying day after day, longing for his son, waiting for his son. And how many times he would step out and just sit on the porch and look up the road and see if uh, his son was coming back. And then finally that day came. It's a great, beautiful picture uh, of our father in heaven who longs for you, who desires for you and for me to come to him. And maybe for some of you, uh, it's coming back to him that you've wandered off, that you've decided to go your own way in this season. And, and the Lord in his grace and his love, patience, long suffering, provides opportunity for us to come back. And, and I challenge you this morning, why delay? You can come now. Cast yourself the mercy of his loving grace. All of us can at any time. And I love that picture that it's, it's the father who ran to the son for restoration, for forgiveness, for reconciliation. And so Peter says, consider this, consider that the patience of God, the long suffering of God, it is salvation. It is for restoration. It is for reconciliation. Now, as he continues in verse 15, he says, as also our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given to him has written to you. And so it's interesting. You notice that Peter then comments that Paul also wrote similar things. And perhaps for Peter, what he has in his mind is Romans 2, 4, where Paul mentions that God's kindness, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But I read this and, and it's curious to me. There's a, it's fascinating to me because he's mentioning Paul, the apostle in his letter. And, and it reveals something important 
for us and to us. And we talked about it some months ago, but again, by way of reminder, it's good for us to be reminded of these things. It's here, even in this uh, New Testament letter, that uh, evidence in the scriptures that the apostles, that their writings, that their letters were being circulated amongst the various churches and various communities, even as he's actively writing them in real time, in his time, Paul's letters have been written and his epistles are being passed from church to church and town to town and, and communities and where the Christians are. And, and Peter affirms the godly call and the wisdom that God gave to Paul and calls him our beloved brother. It's not just these things that Peter is saying. He says, listen, our beloved brother Paul writes these same things to you according to the wisdom that God had given to him. He goes on and he says, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. These things being the last days. These things being God's judgment and God's grace. The things of the future, the things of the church. And I appreciate because Peter says, in which are some things that are hard to understand. I'm like, oh, thank you, Peter. Because there are some things that are hard to understand. Some things that Paul writes and I'm like, I don't know what you mean, Paul. But notice he says, but it's those things which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Peter's comments about Paul's writings are insightful and they're instructive for us. You might remember that at this time, in the early days of the church, that the followers of the way, that Christians, that they initially, as they came out, you know, the, the Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, as they came out of Judaism, that they only had the Old Testament scriptures. And along with the Old Testament scriptures, the scrolls, right? Their, their version of the, their Bibles, not, not how we have it today in terms of binded in a book. It was, you know, laid out different, but certainly the same as far as the inspiration of the word of God. But they had the Old Testament and they had the testimonies, the, the spoken words and the accounts of the apostles. But when the gospels began to be written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the letters, the epistles of the apostles, Paul and Peter and John, Jude, James, letter of Hebrews, as they're being written by the apostles, that they themselves, the apostles became aware of their own God-given authority. They became aware of the fact that they themselves were inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen the words that they were writing. 
Even as Paul writes to Timothy and says, all scripture is God breathed. It's inspired of the Lord. And so there was this awareness as God was speaking to them, revealing these things, as they're documenting their experiences, as they're writing out the things that Jesus said. Again, the apostles were clear and certain that the Old Testament scriptures were the scriptures. They were the word of God. But along with that, we discover there's an awakening and awareness that they too were writing as they wrote the gospels, as they wrote their letters, that it was scripture as well. On the same plane, in the same level as the Old Testament, as the New Testament's being written. And they start to refer them, refer to them as the scriptures. Peter does it here as he writes about Paul's letters, as also in all of his epistles, which Paul has written, same things, They're hard to understand at times. Some people who don't understand it, they twist it to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. And so we note that Peter affirms that Paul's writings, he calls them scriptures. And it's not just him. I mean, Paul, Paul himself does the same thing. Here's one example in, in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul's advising uh, this young pastor, Timothy, and he's laying out uh, basically the polity. How's the church to be run? How is it to be governed? What, what are the things that uh, make it distinctive as uh, this, the, ecclesia, like the, the, the body of Christ and how God designed it to be? And he talks about leaders and the certain roles and responsibilities. And and in 517, he writes that the elders, that the overseers, those that uh, shepherd, those that direct the affairs of the church, those that govern, that they're they're to do it. And there's a qualifier that to do it faithfully. They're to do it well. And those that do, he says, well, they're worthy of double honor. especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And then the next phrase, he says, for the scriptures say, so he lays out a command, he lays out a directive, and now he's going to support it biblically. He says, here's, here's why. why, why do we do that? Because here's what the scripture says. And he quotes from Deuteronomy for, uh, chapter 25. Do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. And then he goes on to write, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Which he's quoting from the gospel of Luke. He quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from the New Testament. And so Paul essentially is saying, listen, you, we should do these things. Here, here's a directive. Here's a, a principle. And where do we find that? Well, we find it in scripture. We find it in the Old Testament. And we find it, if you will, in the New Testament as he's writing the New Testament. It's a New Testament reference in the New Testament. And Peter, and just like Peter, Paul refers to it as the scriptures. And so it's insightful for us, this one verse. And he, and he shares that some things are hard to understand, and I, and I appreciate that. There are some hard things in the Bible. There's some passages we come to, we bump up against, and we, we have to wrestle through these things. 
do our best to try to understand, Lord, what are you wanting to say here? But it's good also, right? We, we, we yield to the fact that we don't know it all. And, and here's the thing for me, you guys, as a side note, I'm, I'm okay with that. Because God is infinite and we are finite. And, and I would dare say that if we would be like, oh yeah, I understand everything that the Bible says. It would put us then at, at a place either equal or greater than God himself. And so the fact that there's some things that are like, "Mm, I don't know. I can't quite figure out this puzzle. For me, I take comfort in that. Maybe it's just I don't understand it today. Maybe next week, next year, hear a different teaching. God's given insight to somebody else. I'm like, oh, okay. Or I think there's going to be just so many things when we get to heaven. Be like, listen, Paul, I got some questions. But what, ha- what does Peter do here, though? He, he notes the reality. There, there are some things that are hard to understand. But he also then provides a caution for us to consider when it comes to these things. Because he says there are a group of people, and he calls them untaught and unstable. They twist the scriptures. They twist the truth of the scriptures. And again, he alludes to not only do they twist Paul's things, but they twist all of the script as they do the rest of the scriptures, the old Testament and the new Testament. What do they do that? Well, they do it to their own destruction. And so while Peter doesn't lay this out, I, I, I thought just as a, as an aside, it'd be, it's a good reminder for us. This insight provides some important instruction. F- first of all, it, it the instruction is that it, it encourages us as we study the word of God, that we can study it and we can trust the Bible. And I'm going to add this in, in its entirety. That it's trustworthy from cover to cover. All 66 books. See, for those who claim that we only have to read and study the New Testament, and there are some churches and some Uh, movements that say that I I, I would say in love, they're terribly mistaken. They're ignorant of the scriptures. I mean, there's even this, I I think it's a, a, a horrible doctrine that tries to divide the gospels from the epistles and even tries to pit what Paul writes against what Jesus said as though Paul and Jesus are, uh, uh, have opposing or different messages. And again, that's great error. I, as Tozer said, it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And so church family, we cannot neglect or cut or alter or dismiss or amend the scriptures. It is best for us and wise for us as we read and study and trust the Bible in its entirety from cover to cover. Number two, we recognize and we submit to the authority of scripture. Peter already told us back in chapter one, verses 20 through 21, above all that you must understand that no prophecy of scripture comes from one own interpretation. For no such prophecy was ever brought forth by the will of man, 
but men spoke from God as they carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so it's God's authority. It's God's inspiration. As I mentioned earlier, Peter writing, uh, or excuse me, Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16, he says all scripture in its entirety, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And as such, it has authority. It has the authority to instruct us. It's profitable. It's good for our life, for doctrine, instruction, correction, reproof. That we'd understand what is right and what is wrong. And all of it, he goes on to say, so that we would be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly, uh, um, you know, our toolbox for life would be full. And thirdly, we, we can understand that the scriptures are sufficient. They're authoritative. We can trust it in its entirety, but they're also sufficient. We don't need anything else. The Bible is not a supplement to our faith. It's what sustains it. It, it, what defines it. It's what fuels it. Paul writes to the Romans in, in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ or the word of God. We were told earlier in second Peter one, three, that his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Where do we, ha- where do we get the knowledge of him? It's through the scriptures. God has called us by glory and virtue. Sometimes people are like, oh, I have my own relationship with God. I experience God out in nature and do these things. Yeah, yeah, yes, you can. But it's a very limited experience. It's incomplete. See, all that we need, God has provided. The problem is that we don't uh, go to the source. Whether by our laziness or neglect, whether uh, by we just don't believe it for whatever reason. We go to self-help books. We go to podcasts. We go to popular, you know, pop psychology. We go to other sources. Church family, I, I cannot stress enough the, the importance of having a regular, uh, Bible reading time to make time and carve out time and guard that time. Whatever rhythm works best for you. For me, it's early in the morning before my wife is up and my kids are up and just, it's quiet. Grab a cup of coffee and I sit at the same place on the edge of the couch and, and just spend time with the Lord. Maybe your day, you know, you get up and you got to get out the door ASAP. So maybe it's lunchtime for you. Maybe it's the, the drive. You listen to the audio Bible. Whatever it looks like for you. And just lovingly challenge you, encourage you to get in the word of God. You notice Peter, what he warns against as he continues in verse 17. As he lays out these, these facts for us, he says, you therefore beloved. Since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Again, we noted before, he calls his readers beloved. Peter cares for them. He's very pastoral. 
and, and he writes some challenging things and he writes some challenging things because he cares about them. We've talked before, you know, there are times where people in our life who uh, might challenge us, rebuke us, correct us. And then that's a good thing. It's hard, right? No, no one likes to be rebuked. And, and, you know, maybe even the question is, is there somebody like that in your life that you've given license to them that they can call you out? Like who challenges your thinking? Who have you allowed to come and, 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 and ask the hard, the hard and necessary questions about what you're doing and where you go and the things that you watch and the things that you're listening to, the things that you're reading, the decisions that you're making. You know, love, godly love looks like at times it's pats on the back, encouragement, but love also looks like, godly love looks like kicks in the pants, right? We need both. And, and Peter is bringing both. He acknowledges to his readers uh, that he loves them. He cares about them, but he brings some hard things. And he also says, listen, these are things that you know already. These are things I've told. These are basic truths that he says, you, since you know this beforehand, this is knowledge you already have. But he adds this, or he includes this. He says, be careful then, beware, take heed. Now, Peter told us his letter is a letter of reminders. And, and I was reminded this past week that, uh, you know, we're prone to forget how easily we forget things and God. And here's the grace of God, right? God knows our faults and he knows the frailty of our mind that we forget. Anybody forget things? I'm not the only one, but you know, sometimes forgetting things can be dangerous. Forgetting things can be dangerous. This past week I was, I was trying to make lunch for the staff and so I, I was cooking up some taco meat and uh, we had some tortillas and I put some hard shell um, corn tortillas in the toaster oven because I like a little bit toasty. If you pull them out of the package, it just kind of tastes like cardboard. So just give them a little, a little bit of toast. Well, I put them in the toaster oven and I went into the, our little kitchen and as I'm cooking, I'm like, oh man, someone's burning some popcorn bad. <laughs> And then I saw the smoke billowing. I'm like, oh no. And then in that moment, it hit me. My taco shells. <laughs> like I had completely forgot about them. Like praise the Lord, my daughter was there. Like, and like I, I'm like, I, I was hastening the coming day of the Lord and burning down, you know, just getting things ready for judgment day and just burn it all down. Then I was just upset at myself. How could I have forgotten? I just put them in. Oh, how easily we can forget things that are important things, but also forgetting can be dangerous. Peter says, I don't want you to forget this. It's, it's important, but it's dangerous if you do. Don't forget this so that you don't fall. Right? As the saying goes, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Because there exists those who don't just distort the hard parts of Paul's letter. They distort all of the scripture and twist all of the scripture. 
Now he says they do so to their own destruction. We realize, oh, God takes his word and the uh, faithful exposition and the teaching of his word very seriously. He holds people accountable for how his word is taught and, and, and church family. Listen, that, that, uh, that's very um, sobering for me. I realize there's going to be a day I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account of the things that I've taught you from this pulpit. Now I, it, you know, I say this in jest and I think God is gracious that I'm going to get a pass on my jokes, but uh, but when it comes to rightly dividing the word of truth, I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account. But many of us become teachers, James would say, because we'll incur a stricter judgment. And so there is a group that twists the scripture. They distort the scripture. They do so to their own peril, but they do so. And as they do so, Peter says, be careful, be careful. You know, these things already, but it's easy to forget. And in this category, this lane, if we forget, it's a dangerous thing to forget because they will ruin other people's minds and they wreck other people's faith. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says in first Corinthians 10, 12, let one who, who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Now, Understand, this isn't a fall from salvation. This is the, oh, we're going to lose our salvation. But it is a fall in the sense of we, we remove ourselves from the fullness of blessing of God's grace. And Peter knows what it means to fall from steadfastness. To be so confident so sure of his footing, so, so assured of, of his loyalty to Jesus. that He was, you know, chief amongst his uh, followers and devote, devotion. Though all of them would flee, I'll never flee, Lord. I'll die for you. So self-assured. And yet we know the, what happens to Peter. He, Jesus gets arrested they all run away, including Peter. To his credit, he follows from a distance, him and John, as they follow. Remember, he gets discovered. All it takes is a little girl to be like, hey, I, you have a funny accent. You were with him. And as Jesus had told Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, that's what happened, right? Peter fumbled and he fell and he failed hard. But not out of God's grace. Jesus meets him where he's at. Even as he goes back to his old life, a life of fishing, and he's restored. He's reinstated. And now Peter, who writes this letter, having learned that lesson in his own wisdom, he tells us, listen, don't fall. Don't get tripped up. Be careful of where you stand. Be careful of being self-confident. There are trips ha trip hazards. There are lures being led away by the error of the wicked. And so he writes with this knowledge to make, to make the listener. That's you and me today. We then are personally responsible not to be deceived. 
Well, those who twist and distort the scriptures, they have their end. God's going to judge them. God's going to deal with them. But there's a responsibility that lest we also fall from our own steadfastness, from our following the Lord and being led away by the error of the wicked. Church family, we, it's our responsibility. We, we need to take heed to our spiritual diet. The things that we're being fed, the things that we're feeding ourselves. And again, as I mentioned earlier, it's so important then that, that you and I individually are reading the scriptures, that we're spending time with the Lord, that we're having our daily bread. But along with that, it's so important that you find and commit to a church body that teaches the scriptures that teaches Bible truth. Now I'm blessed and I'm honored. Many of you that call Calvary your home in the season, but I realize we're not everybody's flavor. We're not everybody's cup of tea. And, and if that's you, you feel like, Oh, maybe this isn't really where God's called me. I, I'd say that's okay. You belong to the Lord ultimately, but make sure that wherever you go though, it is a place that is committed to the teaching of the word of God. Now, there's different styles and they're just, you know, I, I'm not the most dynamic, you know, teacher, preacher. Uh, I often wonder why uh, very graciously when I get invited to different conferences and things when I speak, they put me after lunch. I'm like, that's a, that's a terrible mistake. <laughs> I often have to bring candy and it's a, uh, you know. But verse 16 and 17 remind us. Challenge us the importance of being in a church that teaches the Bible clearly and correctly. Does the pastor, or the preacher teach the scriptures? Are we opening our Bibles? Are we studying and reading? Uh, you know, is it the explanation happening, application happening? Or is it just feel good stories, funny stories, clever anecdotes, little, you know, Quip quotables. I mean, there's some great teachers out there, but there's also some that, and they have a, a large following, but man, they are twisting and distorting the scriptures. So I'm, a, I'm afraid that a, a lot of them, as I see them, that what being taught from the pulpit today is just a sprinkling of scripture. It's a sermonette at most. And it's just a sprinkling of scripture. It's a reference on top of uh, you know, modern pop psychology. It's a spiritual TED talk. It's just, it's good morals. Nothing wrong with good morals, but it's good morals devoid of the gospel. Or a lot of pulpits, I think, especially in America today, become just um, a platform for politics. Again, we, we have uh, responsibilities uh, as citizens of earth, certainly not to say that we don't and we're directed to participate and pray. And, and so don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't believe the pulpit is uh, uh, the place for primarily talking about politics. And that's what's happening instead of what, instead of preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, instead of the unapologetic, clear teaching of the word of God. 
And so Peter's warning is fitting for us today. Church family, we're to be on guard, to be aware. We're to take heed to our spiritual diet, both of what we consume ourselves and, and, and what's being taught to us. And, he, and in verse 18, he, he says, but here's contrast. What are we to do? Grow. Grow. Mature in our faith. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, of our Lord, excuse me, and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I, I love this verse. This is our aim. This is our goal as a church. That we would grow. Oh, it's not there anymore. Or the banner used to be. Verse 18. To grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think the placement of those words is intentional, inspired of the Lord. We're to grow in grace, then we grow in knowledge. Both are needed. You know, just to grow in knowledge, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. We can get big heads. So there's a danger of that. You know, just having information. We know a lot. You know, have a lot of Bible knowledge. And we get big heads. It's like those those uh, toy, those pop heads. You ever see those things or bobble heads? I think the new thing is called pop heads, right? They have a little body and a big gigantic head. And that, that's what happens spiritually. We can get big heads. We have little bodies. Just walking around with a giant head. Right? It's, it's cute and it's fun as a toy, but it's terrible as a Christian. And so knowledge without grace, what happens? It leads to a big head. We get prideful and puffed up. And it's, you met people like this, right? They're judgmental. They're arrogant. And they often espouse, right? They, they promote knowledge. Well, if you would know more, if you would be more learned, if you'd be more, study more. Pharisees were like that. They knew a lot. They didn't do a lot. Again, you, we have to be careful. You meet some Christians like that, and we can be Christians like that. People just want to impress you with what they know. Well, they know a lot, but man, they're jerks, right? They're stuck-up snobs. So we have to grow in knowledge. We grow in grace. And unless we grow in grace and in knowledge, again, we're just going to have big heads and small hearts. And so God directs us, and he wants us to grow. Again, we understand that in the natural. I'm a dad. I have, I have you know, grown, growing and grown children. And time flies by fast, by the way. And I, I, and I want them to grow. I want them to grow in maturity. But we understand, though, there, there's no shortcuts to spiritual maturity and growth. It takes time. It takes devotion. It takes obedience. It takes sacrifice. It takes this, what you're doing. Thank you. Giving of your days and your mornings to come and to hear and study and, and go through the word of God together. It's effort. I mean, there's no magic pill. There's no supplement shake that we can take, right? That would make us grow in grace and knowledge. Wouldn't that be great? Feeling weak in faith. Here, drink this. It's a faith energy drink. Monster faith, you know. <laughs> Yes, I drink it, walk on water, feel so good today. Right? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Just sell all these supplements. Doesn't happen that way. It's a grind. It's intentional. 
It's a direction though. And it happens as our whole series title is, it happens as we commit to and read the word of God, as we trust the spirit to speak and to lead. Ultimately he is our teacher. As we commit to a place in a season to the body of Christ, as uh, Paul would tell the Ephesians, as every part does its share, we all grow up into maturity. Jesus is the head. You know, back in verse 14, uh, he says, be diligent, be diligent to be found by him in peace. There's intentionality there. There's a pursuit there. It's aligned with, well, really our will aligned with the will of God. And so growth becomes the privilege then of our grace. And as we seek to learn and we love Jesus more, to know what it means to, for Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. Right? That's, that's our end. That, that's the purpose of our study. It's not just that we'd have more information, but there would be transformation. Certainly we want to know things. But the aim, the target, the picture in the box is Jesus himself. So that when we come and we read and we study What's the result? Not that we'd have more information, but that we'd be more like Jesus. We'd fall in love with Jesus. We want to pursue Jesus. And to what end? To the glory, both now and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for our time through your word, through the wisdom given to Peter, and these things that are practical for us, important for us. Father, I I pray we take heed to the things that we read and hear, that we would cultivate an appetite for the word of God, Lord, that we would just have a spiritual hunger, that we both uh, drink deeply and, uh, and eat well of the bread of life. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that... Uh, It's your long suffering. It's your patience that provides the opportunity for us to get right with you and to come back to you over and over again. Your grace abounds. And I thank you, God, for our church family as we study, as we grow together in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.